Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, We also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Beth Blackwood. Beth is the CEO of AHESA, an amazing organization that supports educators um, in uh, in Australia. And Beth's going to explain a bit more about that in, in a moment. But uh, welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thank you, Jono. Now, first of all, I must, I just want to say this, that um and I think I mentioned this to you when we when we first chatted, but I've heard great things about your organization um, and uh, about the way the authenticity of the community and the way you support educators. So I just want to start off by saying thank you for the for the very important uh, work that you do and and for how you're doing it. That those are things that I've heard anecdotally through the grapevine. Oh, look, thank you, and it's so nice to get to get that feedback because. This is an association that gave me so much in my leadership years that to now be able to give back is the greatest privilege and pleasure. So it's nice to hear that feedback. Yeah, so first of all, can you tell us a bit about the association and mm. uh, and also what you do as CEO? Certainly. So AHESA stands for the Association of Heads of Independent Schools of Australia. Uh, and so its members are, as it indicates, uh, heads of, of independent schools across all, all states. We do have some overseas membership as well, particularly from, from New Zealand. One of the chief criteria for being a member is that heads have the autonomy to manage their schools. So the heads in our schools are not parts of, uh, of systems necessarily, um, and they report directly to a board. So, you know, they have responsibility for the day-to-day -day management of their schools and responsibility to governance in that they report directly to, to boards. So we have approximately 450 members from um, across Australia. Uh, as a little bit of background, I was once a member of a HISA myself, uh, I was a head of um, an independent K-12 uh, school for girls uh, for 19 years. Um, and so, as I said before, that, you know, being able to give back to this organisation has, has been a real privilege. So uh, the, the association, I'll refer to it as a HESA because it's just too much of a mouthful to say Association of Heads of Independent Schools of Australia each time. But uh, the, the association is uh, primarily to there to support heads in their leadership of their school communities. And there are three significant ways in which we do that as an association. Um, one, one is to um, provide communications, advice, reflections, articles um, that, that may support leaders in their roles in their schools. That's in uh, the form of um, bulletins and, and our website. Uh, we also provide professional learning 
for principals and for those who may be aspiring to leadership as well. So uh, apart from COVID years, we usually have at least one major uh, conference a year and we run a series of web, now webinars, workshops, um, sessions for, for members and, and uh, broader community of educators. And the, the third uh, string to, to our bow is that uh, we provide advocacy. So we're based in Canberra because the um, most the majority of funding for independent schools is from the federal government, um, and uh, so we uh, we seek to influence and consult and advise on national affairs that impact on education of our young. Amazing, yeah! Uh, what an organisation, and it's, it's so lovely to hear the legacy of the organisation with you and now how you're giving back. Uh, so let's chat about you, Beth. I want to hear, as a starting point, if you go back to your childhood, to growing up, uh, what are some of those moments or even themes from that season of your life that have really shaped you to become the leader and the person you are today? Look, I think the dominant um, theme that shaped me growing up uh, was being born in the era of the, the 50s and 60s where expectations of women were significantly stereotyped and uh, opportunities were much narrower than they are today. So the, the feminist movement that arose as a result, I think, of those constricting um, conformities expected of women in the 50s and 60s and which I saw impacted on my mother and other women around me really shaped who I am. I, I was determined that uh, I would carve my own way in the world. Uh, and that um, I wanted to, to be able to make decisions about myself and not necessarily have to conform to what the expectations were of women mm. at that particular time. So um, if I think back to my childhood, that's what really shaped me. I had a mother who would have loved to have had a career and... Yeah. Um, uh, fell in line with what the expectations of women were at that time. And I saw the, the frustration and ultimate disappointment that that created for her um, mm. in, the, in the life that, that she led, uh, that uh, it really um, fired my enthusiasm for, for feminism, which ultimately led uh, to my leading a school for, for girls. That's, uh, that's so, um, yeah, really appreciate you sharing that. So wonderful and, and vulnerable of you to share that. I'm interested to know what, what has changed dramatically since then for women in leadership and what still needs to change as someone who mm. grew up in that time and now has led um, in really significant roles and, and continues to, what, what mm. has dramatically changed and what still needs to change? 
I think the opportunities for, for women have changed um, dramatically. Um, I, I think that uh, women are not constrained by the, the three essential choices that women had when I was growing up, if they wished to work, uh, it was, you know, secretarial nursing or, or teaching. Um, so the, the breadth of opportunity and the breadth of choices has really opened up um, for, for women. Um, I think that uh, gender equity is generally accepted in, in, our, um, in our society. Um, however, there are still many, many challenges. Uh, if we look at the number of women in leadership roles in ASX companies, for example, we see women are underrepresented. Women are underrepresented in, in politics uh, and uh, so many other fields that, that I could name today. So we have a long way to go to achieving uh, true mm. equality. Um, and, and of course, we have the scourge of domestic violence that impacts primarily on women prevalent in our society and prevalent in other Western societies at this point in time as well. So it is somewhat frustrating to feel that we've moved a long way in some ways and in other ways we haven't moved very far at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's uh, I think you've, what you shared there is really insightful. Um, if we go back to your story, when was your first opportunity or as someone put it when I asked this question, when did you? When was the first time you realised you were in an opportunity to lead? The first chance you had to manage a group of people, the first time you were really able to take a project and, and sort of um, lead that project, cast vision. Do you remember when that first significant opportunity was for you? Um, yes, yes, I can. I mean, there are obviously opportunities all through school, their leaderships, the sports teams and debating. And I think all of those are really in, in important in kind of formative experiences. But, but the first um, professional uh, leadership experience was as a director of, of a boarding house um, in a private girls' school in, in Melbourne. And uh, I actually fell into that role. Uh, the, the position was advertised in the paper as positions were advertised in those days uh, and it was advertised as uh, a director of sporting activities and I read it to mean that it was a role that would primarily occur at weekends leading the sporting activities of young girls living in this boarding house. At the time, I was looking to go back to university and looking for a way to be able to support part-time studies. So it seemed like a, a golden opportunity. And when I uh, approached the school to ask for further information, they said, of course, you realise that that was an error in our advertisement and the role is actually director of the boarding house. I said, <laughs> oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course I realised that. <laughs> Um, and uh, the rest is history. I applied for the <laughs> position. Um, I um, and and um, I, w I was appointed, so I found myself leading a boarding school of over one hundred adolescent teenage girls, and wow. uh, and a staff team of um, you know approximately a dozen women. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I just love that story. <laughs> you do. Of course, you realize that we made a mistake. We said uh, something, you know, heading up the sport. It's actually the director of the boarding house. You realize that, don't you? Oh, that's, I think um, the number of times, Beth, I've chatted with people and they point back to an accidental, either where they accidentally stepped into something or someone accidentally gave them a role just makes me laugh because it's, um, and it's really encouraging for me because sometimes as leaders, we feel like we have to be so strategic and intentional and we do, but, um, but also I think uh, if we're just aware of the opportunities and, and around us, that's just, um, who would have thought stepping into a role like, uh, like that, um, that you would, you know, <laughs> that's just, that's just a fantastic um, first opportunity. That's mm. one of my favorites I've heard. Thank you. No, not at all. And, you know, it was a pivotal moment. And, uh, you know, I see I learned so much from uh, from that leadership um, position. Um, and I also learned to um, to seize opportunities when they were there as well. That was a, a really good mm. outcome of, of, of that position. I, I in no way felt prepared for the challenges of it. Um, but somehow I had the a goal, I think, <laughs> to, to step up and say, well, I'll give this a go. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good word uh, for um, and a good a good thing that any leader can can develop. And uh, interested to know what were the biggest lessons that can't have been easy as a first leadership opportunity. That's not a that's not a uh, a sort of gentle, you know, here have a go at this. That's a hundred adolescents suddenly you're director of of a, of a boarding house that's a, that's a big um mm. i imagine must have been a bit of a deep end experience what were the biggest lessons that have stuck with you from that time i think the biggest lessons uh were around lead, um, relationships and uh no matter what leadership position you're in it comes back to relationships 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 um, and in a boarding community, you have that unique opportunity to, to build very strong relationships with your team. Um, so I guess there are two elements to, to leadership there. One is about relationships and building trust. And the second one is that you cannot do everything yourself. You need to be able to work with um, a, a, a positive um, team behind you. So um, that that was uh, one lesson I learned. The other lesson I learned was that uh, leadership is not about popularity. I thought I was relatively young at, at that point in time and um, I, I saw myself as being able to relate quite easily with our 100 adolescent girls but it doesn't quite work out that way when you're the one who has the responsibility and duty of care for for those young young people um, and so uh, i quickly learned that it's not about uh, popularity it's about in that situation being seen to be fair and being respected mm. What, and and what have you learned since then about how to lead in a way that uh, develops uh, well that is fair because I love that word I think that's I think that's um, a fantastic word to use around leadership because uh, just a quick segue before I come back to ask you this my one of my favorite books that I talk about a lot in the podcast is Blue Ocean Strategy 
And I, mm-hmm. I love a lot about that book and about that idea of strategic planning that they talk about. But the the thing that I almost found most helpful from that book is they they talk about when you're when you're rolling out a, a really innovative transformational strategic plan, where people go wrong comes down to this these two words that they use and they and they say it's about unfair process. When people feel like their the process has been unfair, you lose them. And that's why I love that word fair, because we can talk about all these other words, but if you step into the shoes of your people and if they feel like it's a fair process, then people can agree passionately, disagree passionately. And a lot of the time you can still have have good conversations. So that's why I love that word. But uh, what have you learned about uh, that idea of how to lead in a way that's um, that's fair and how to develop respect as a leader in a healthy way? I, I think processes is part of it, and I, I um, being a somewhat rebellious teenager, I think uh, you know the the notion of having policies and processes and guidelines was an anathema to me until I stepped into a leadership position and and I saw how essential it was that there are policies and processes um, that that determine outcomes and that uh, they they provide a foundation for, for fairness so that uh, no matter what the situation is, there's a process or a policy um, that has due regard and respect for the people that are engaged in it, uh, that it, that is followed um, in all circumstances. So I, I think having, you know, the, a, a set of, of principles and policies uh, that are the foundation of, leader, uh, of, of leadership uh, is is important. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think um, I think it's pretty it's pretty simple. It's not easy, but I think it's pretty simple if no. you can make those things really clear, and then follow through in a fair way about how you uphold those things. That's a great starting point. In fact, that's something I reflect on for my for me as as a leader. I think that's something I could have done a lot better. I, I love saying to people outside of Australia that. It's really easy, particularly when you start in a role or you start someone else in a job that you've been waiting to fill and finally they step into the role. It's easy to say, you know, she'll be right as, uh, as the Aussie sort of um, uh, quip goes and say, you know what, they're such a great person. I'm so excited to finally have this off my plate. Uh, I, could, I could, you know, do those extra couple of things or spend that extra bit of time, but I really want to move on to the other things. So now that we've got this in place, great, let's, let's sort of move on. And I found for me, that's been such a big mistake because uh, whether it's in the early time of someone stepping into a role or whether it's more about processes across an organization, if you can just get it really clear from the start, even if it feels a bit tedious at times, if you can just make it really clear, then it makes all the accountability or the conversations when you're when something's being questioned so much easier. I think so. And, and uh, you know, it's building trust is around consistency. Uh, and being seen to be reliable. Uh, so it, it helps build those relationships that uh, you depend on as a leader. So after you took this director of boarding role and you were in the deep end and you learnt so much that you've just explained, take us on a bit of the journey from there about what you went and and, and did and, and maybe to, I'm interested to know from there, what was the next sort of big leap for you <laughs> as a leader mm. where you went, wow, okay, this is another big stretch for me as a leader? 
Well, the, the director of boarding house placed me in a school. And uh, as I alluded to earlier, I'd been determined I wasn't going to be a teacher because that's what was expected of me. And uh, so up until that point in time, I had um, been in social work roles. And uh, this was my first experience of an all-girls school. And it just opened my mind to the possibilities for young women. This was an exciting time in the school where women were educated to look at broader horizons than the the narrow one that I had had in 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 my own um, uh, school years, uh, and uh, so in. Instead of pursuing the law degree, which is what I had intended to do, I found myself drawn into education and understanding how fundamental an education is to the opportunities that our youth have later in life and, and therefore what could be more important than educating our young people. So I veered away from law and uh, took on um, a Diploma of Education. And uh, so my, my next step, I then moved into a dual teaching boarding role in another school. And, and mm -hmm. my next step in leadership was as deputy principal. Um, so I moved from director of boarders to, to deputy principal at that particular school in Hobart. Uh, so that was that was the next step in leadership. Yeah, uh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so let me ask you, uh, as a bit of an overview of your journey, since that director of boarding role, um, starting with like you described that, mm -hmm. that next role in, in Hobart, um, I wonder if you can think of, uh, I wonder if any aha moments pop into your head where you were deputy or you were the, the principal or in your role since at AHISA, those sort of moments where it's a turning point or the penny really drops where you go through something or you're part of a process or you see something and it really burns into your memory about, uh, you know, something to do with leadership. Any, any moments come to mind, Beth? I can remember one um, one moment where um, the the principal of the school in Melbourne, in a conversation, um, mentioned to me that I had the potential to be a school leader. Now I had not really considered that until that point in time, but it wasn't so much that he said I had the potential to be a school leader. It was the following statement, but you need to start believing in yourself. So, so that was a real aha moment. Um, and I, I think it allowed for reflection of who I am, what my values were, and what I wanted to achieve. So it was a it was mm. a significant significant moment. And what did that look like for you to uh, to live that out? Obviously, that was a that was the penny drop sort of moment to to step into that. But then, what did that process look like? Because I can imagine leaders listening going, "Oh wow, that's maybe that's what I need to do." Because until you mentioned that story, they'd never thought 
of themselves as being the leader in their industry or the leader mm. of their company and going, mm. maybe I could do that. What was involved in going on that journey, yeah. Beth? Um, I'll comment firstly that I think it was a really generous thing to say. And one of the things that I have tried to do in my leadership is to encourage and nurture leadership in others and to have others believe in themselves as well. I've, I think up until that point in time, my leadership style was more about appeasing, about trying to keep everybody happy. And, uh, and, and, and it goes with my earlier comments about trying to be popular as well. So having belief in oneself was really about stopping and thinking that I needed to know what, what was important to me. I needed to be true to myself and I needed to connect my career or my leadership with with my with my own with my own set of values and, and passions. So it, it it caused me to to reflect on who I was, where I was, and where I wanted to go forward. And of course, at that particular time, um, my interests, my passions, centered around ensuring that there were every opportunity for women to be whatever they chose to be, providing they had the aptitude, aptitude and the, the willingness to, to the work ethic to, to achieve that. Mm. So um, that's where my passion um, sat. It sat comfortably with leadership in uh, environments that um, well, initially um, in in um, schools that were um, educating educating girls. Yeah, I, I think um, this is what I've found with people's values is uh, I, I often find they are very simple things. I don't mean simple as in um, uh, I, I just mean simple as in sometimes with with values or or what we're passionate about. My experience is that when someone really understands it and learns what it is and then they articulate it, it sounds just like what you described, which sounds, hearing it, you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense that uh, that Beth's so passionate about but about that. But having that revelation for yourself is such an amazing compass. Uh, I know for me, I talk about uh, – I always I always wrestled because I'm, I'm so passionate about organizational structures and, and I love the sort of um, – you know, the, the living organism of, of an organization and how things work. But I always thought that's not what I'm really about. I mean, that's what I'm, I, I love doing it, a lot of work around that, but it never quite sat right with me until one day I remember just um, as I was pondering this, uh, realizing, you know what it's about. I, I'm so passionate about organizations because I know that when an organization is really healthy in its structure, that people can really fulfill their potential and and that just was like a, a similar moment for me where I realized if I can invest in people to fulfill their potential, whether that's through it. And so that, that's been a wonderful compass. Now, once again, that doesn't sound like the most uh, revolutionary phrase, but for me, that's been life-changing. Hmm. Hmm. And, and look, I agree. It, it, it's not as simple as you say. Um, but it was uh, my guiding light in, in those early years. But, of course, it broadened uh, 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 across my career as well. 
you know, I would say that uh, another really important value to me uh, was, was around community and the belief that schools are communities and it's within those communities that young people learn what the rights and the responsibilities of citizenship are. And uh, so that, that notion of strengthening, building community so that those young people go beyond school and wherever they may be, they understand the strengths of being part of a community and contributing to a community became another passion of mine. Mm, yeah, that's so profound. And uh, that's why one of the things I've probably learned from this podcast, actually, I've had a lot of educators on here and uh, it's probably reminded me in some ways, but also I feel like my uh, sort of my understanding of the significance that education plays in changing people's lives and changing the world has probably grown from this podcast because I've just... I, I've started thinking sort of in this way, like what else makes as big of a transformational difference in people's lives in the community and across the world than education? I've lost you. Oh, have you, have you got me back? Yes, I've got you back now. Yes. Okay. Sorry about that. Must have dropped That's out. Right. Uh, well, my next question for you, Beth, I'm interested to know who... Uh, who comes to mind as a wonderful leader that you worked with, that you still might work with, uh, who was a mentor to you at the start of your career? Um, any, any, I'm sure there are many, but anyone that, that springs to mind who was a particularly important mentor or leader that you admired through your career so far? Mm. Look, I've been fortunate. I've had many um, mentors uh, uh, across um, my my career, um, and and I think they play such an important uh, role in in supporting and sustaining um, one's leadership. So it, it's difficult to choose one, but I'm going to go back to to that first person who tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you could be a principal if. And uh, that was David Loder, who was the principal of MLC uh, in, in Kew at the time. And uh, I think what David taught me about leadership was that it was genuinely a collaborative um, process uh, in 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 the school so he taught me about being collaborative being consultative uh, and he was a true innovator um, he he was the first or MLC Q was the first school in the world to introduce a one-on-one -on -one laptop program to their students so he was a big sky thinker and, and he was always stretching and asking why, 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 how, how, how. So it was an inquiring mind. Uh, so it wasn't just the collaboration. Um, he, it, it was about bringing people together, and, but it was also about extending them, challenging them to think about 
what we have now and what the possibilities might be. Uh, so he he was a and continues to be a significant influence um, on my leadership and my thinking. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing about the um, about the laptops. Are there any stories mm. of David? Any other stories that come to mind? Uh, I, I guess as you're as you're thinking, anything that um, where he led change. Uh, change management any ways or stories about how he dealt with stakeholders or um the way he the way he uh sort of implemented those sort of big innovative ideas and made them actually happen any 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 specific stories that pop to mind for you um i i think we go back i i go back to um you know with change management of, of um, influencing and stepping people through change. And I think David um, was, uh, uh, you know, a master at that, of planting a seed of that seed being well-researched, well-evidenced, but then putting that idea out there and inviting people to engage with it. So there was never a sense that, he had determined this is the way it was going to be. It was a sense of, this is what I know, this is where I think we'd like to be, but how do we get there? And people in genuinely being engaged in that process of, of how to get there. Uh, mm. And, you know, that that that's not an easy thing to do. I was always challenged by change management. And I, mm. I, I think in my own leadership style, I was probably always too keen to come up with the answers rather <laughs> than what's the issue we're trying to solve here and how, how can we work together to solve it. So he was a great exemplar of somebody who led, led in that manner. Yeah, I found that really hard too. And I have so much respect for that process. It's not easy because no, it's not. It's I, I don't know about you. I, I know most leaders out there can probably resonate with this. You once you start looking at a challenge, particularly when you're in a more senior leadership role, it's it's very hard not to come to conclusions, and you start making um dis, making decisions, even if they're even if you're trying to hold them loosely. It then becomes very difficult when you bring some really great thinkers from your team and the wider team and stakeholders together, and someone questions something, and you go, "Oh wow, I, I'm I'm struggling to wrap that into the things that I'm realizing now are probably a bit more fully formed than than they should be." Hmm. Mm, that's right. And being open-minded is just such an important trait to have. To be able to to listen to others, to other people's perspectives. Um, to to being open to being challenged, I, I think that is a really important leadership trait. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there'll be anything off the top of your head, but <laughs> how did mm. how did David do that when he was running these processes? I find that process in particular really fascinating. Was there anything that you observed specifically about how he was able to bring these? Uh, sort of the, bring the problem together to a group and collaborate and, and invite them in? How did he do that? Small, he worked with small groups. So he may start, may have started, I've, I've, I've seen him present to all staff on a particular issue, but then across time work with the smaller groups, 
then give and communication of course is the key to all of this so working with smaller groups gathering ideas gathering different ideas coming back to the larger group uh, it seemed to me that David always took time he wasn't trying to change overnight um, so he allowed for those conversations to to take place and I think that one-on-one -on -one, um, laptop that he introduced is a good example of that I mean that was that was significant change that um, involved a whole range of stakeholders from the teachers to the students to the parent body um, and and so it was working with each of those groups listening to their concerns addressing those concerns taking the time to come back to feedback to feedback to feedback so that by the time a decision is made people feel that they have been heard and that there has been a consultative process as part of that decision making incredible that's uh that right there that little snippet that you just unpacked could be um <laughs> i wish i'd heard that 10 uh 10 years ago uh or, or 15 years ago in in some of the uh yeah, just that little process you described, I think, is is mm. uh, so valuable. It's gold. Well, let's jump into Leadership Express. I'm really enjoying this conversation with you. I've just got a handful of questions for you. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> First of all, what's what's a book that you've gifted to other people, Beth? The book that I've gifted the most, and this is to other leaders, other school leaders, so... Um, although I think there, there is something in the book for everybody. It's a book written by Father Chris Gleason uh, called A Canopy of Stars, Some Reflections for the Journey. So Father Chris is a Jesuit priest. He was headmaster of uh, Xavier in Melbourne and went on to be headmaster at Riverview in, in Sydney. And A Canopy of Stars are reflections on experiences that that he had in his journey as an educator uh, there are uh, writings of others there are prayers there are narratives around uh, students and parent interactions uh, and uh, it it's uplifting it's a book full of hope and optimism and belief uh, in young people uh, it's one of those things that you could pick up and just read two pages at a time and feel mm. inspired by it. And it has obviously been written by a Jesuit priest. It, it, it has a, a, a spiritual um, element to it, so it speaks to the soul as well. Yeah, wonderful. That's a, that's a lovely recommendation. I haven't had that one before. Uh, so next question do you have any favourite questions that you ask? You're in a one-on-one -on -one with someone. Uh, you are, you know, dealing with some stakeholders, uh, or you're with a team. Any favourite questions you like to ask? <laughs> um, one that I fall back on sometimes is: Is there anything you were expecting me to ask that I haven't? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that because the, I think questions like that can be important sometimes when you when you think, how can I draw something out that might not otherwise come out? And that's uh, that's a really that's a really good one. I've had a similar question before, actually. I'm just trying to remember how they phrased it, but it was a it was a very similar um, idea. I can't remember what they said, but yeah, you're not the first leader to to share that. I think there's there's great wisdom in that. Uh, 
So here's another question for you. What is a commonly held belief in education that you passionately disagree with? The current deficit model of education that is communicated by our politicians and by and large by our media. The, the belief that we are failing, I think to quote one of our politicians, that we have failed a generation of students. I do not hold to that at all. There are wonderful teachers in our schools. Our schools do an absolutely amazing job of seeking to value every child um, and provide every child with an, an education worth having. So uh, the, the deficit model that we see that we're failing in PISA, that we're failing in NAPLAN, um, that we're failing in school management is an, is an anathema to me because I don't believe we are failing. I think education mm. is in a stage of transformation. We're moving from uh, an, an industrial model of, of, of education to one that will better equip our students for a world of constant change. And, you know, through that transformation, there are going to be... Um, changes in emphasis um, and and changes in priorities. And, and I think mm. that's what we're seeing, not, not a deficit model. We, I see young people coming out of our schools and they that astound me. You know, they mm. are genuine inquirers. Um, they um, are engaged. They are community-minded and community-spirited. They are generous uh, and they are looking to, to thrive. Um, they're responsible young people. So I, I think that, uh, that that belief that education is failing students in Australia is an absolute anathema and it's not what I see before my eyes. At whatever school I go into, I see energy, I see drive, I see passion, I see young people who are engaged and who are learning. Um, and uh, you would hope are learning, um, learning for life, you know, it, learning to enjoy the process so that it is a lifetime um, uh, enjoyment. Wow, well, that is a wonderful thought. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's it's a because there are things like that about the deficit that can be just oh yeah yeah you know you agree with, but I think you make a, some wonderful points there. And uh, knowing myself, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of fantastic educators and school leaders. I agree, there are incredible people leading and teaching our students, and there are um, incredible students coming through. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Okay, a couple more questions. What is a what's a big struggle or problem that educational leaders are facing right now? Look, it's a complex world, and I and I think that uh, that that in itself um, presents real challenges for leaders today. 
Um, to me, um, there, uh, there are so many things we could talk about um, social media, we could talk about um, uh, consent, we could talk about pornography, there are so many complex issues, uh, the climate, uh, environment, there's so many complex issues that, that, that leaders are facing today. Um, but I think um, sort of the one, a, a bigger picture to me uh, for school leaders is dealing all the time with this tension between the, the what are perceived to be the, the values of the, the, our broader society, our culture, and, you know, values of uh, instant fame and gratification as compared to the timeless values that leaders are seeking to instill in, in young people, um, the values of you know, being honourable, being honest, having integrity and, and so forth, those, those timeless values that almost seem to be set against what the what our young people are consuming out there on the, the broader social networks yeah yeah and I think that's one of the big challenges uh, the other the sort of the other side of that for me is um, particularly as virtual reality uh, becomes mm. uh, more of a mm -hmm. more of a reality and mm. I, I really see uh, you know virtual reality take being another level of transformation um, and I see the opportunity I think the challenge is if we're going to innovate in some of these spaces, you just you just hit the nail on the head talking about the disparity between some of these really true values that that um, in schools that we're talking about and the values that we're espousing on some of these um, platforms. And I think the question is how do we how do we have more of an impact and what does it look like outside of education uh, across the world to bring some more of these values onto these platforms? What does that look like? I don't know what the answer is necessarily, but I think there's a, an incredible opportunity there because if we can do more of that, then I think it will, um, it will really help. I'm not saying it's easy, but I, I see that as a massive opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Um, if we just look at um, civility, mm. grace, kindness, we need yeah. more of that in our in our general society. Certainly we're educating for those skills in our schools or those values in our, in our schools. Um, but, but we need um, we need the weight of corporations and politicians and um, media to, to support those values. Um, and to to encourage the the inst instilling of those values in in our broader community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really wonderful thought. Last question. We can't uh, leave it to schools alone. I guess is my you know. Uh, oh, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I think you're right. I think I think it's very true. Last question. Mm. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Grab whatever opportunities 
present themselves. I think too often we, we kind of step back thinking, no, I can't do that or I haven't got the skills for that quite yet, particularly women. Um, mm. So my, my one piece of advice is to, to seek out and or grab whatever opportunities there may be for, for leadership and um, jump in the deep end. There are mm. plenty of people around to support you. There are plenty of resources to acquire the, the knowledge and skills that you may have. But unless you take that opportunity in the first place, you'll never know what your own capabilities are. You'll never challenge yourself, in other words. Yes. That's wonderful advice. Uh, thank you for sharing that. For those who have really enjoyed hearing from you today, Beth, where can people find you online and find out more about AHISA? Uh, well, AHISA has its own dedicated website. Uh, people can find me online in LinkedIn. Um, and um, AHISA has a, a Twitter feed as well. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I know educators would have loved this, but I also, what I've really enjoyed about today is that for those who have no connection currently in their role to education, uh, it's been so profound hearing from Beth telling stories and, and leadership principles. So I want to thank our listeners. Don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast. Which you, can, uh, which you can also check out to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Beth, for sharing, um, for sharing just, yeah, wonderful stories, like I said, from your life um, and your career. And I think you'll inspire a, a lot of leaders with what you've shared today. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, John. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content 
and it gives you exclusive limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.